0: back to the Quacktail podcast. We have a nice little bi-week, nice little relaxing episode. Hopefully uh, we won't get too riled up. I'm Charlie, joined as always by Reed, um, and we're going to do a little, you know, halfway through the season evaluation so far, um, just kind of talk about how we think the team is doing overall, how it relates to the broader context of the Pac-12, because as you all know, that is becoming increasingly important, um, and then also how you know, where the Ducks are nationally. And uh, unfortunately, I think the word playoff might be mentioned somewhere in this episode, but we'll get to that. Um, Either way, uh, Reed, how you doing? How's your evening going?
1: Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm having flashbacks to last year's bi-week episodes where we were kind of having this crisis (laughs) about the Stanford loss. And I have to say, sitting down to record this one after handling our business in the desert is much, much more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, for all the problems with Mario, he certainly gave us stuff to talk about all the time. Um, Like, unironically, he was very good at work in the media, but uh, yeah, with those those Utah losses at the end of the year and Stanford as well, like, all the losses were timed perfectly to sync up with, like, when we have a lot of time to get concerned about them. So, (laughs) anyways, um, again, this is the last time I'll out myself on my prediction, but I did predict this Oregon game against Arizona to be a loss, so... I'm glad that flipped over and we can be a little more uh, happy on this episode than I was planning to be. But um, overall, I think we're going to kind of get back to our roots a little bit with this first segment uh, in a sort of team grades segment, kind of evaluating each position group, see how they think they've done. Hopefully we won't mention every name on the roster like the good old days, but uh, I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit. So Reed, I'll let you have first pick of the board here. Which position group has impressed you the most so far this season, relative to expectations? That's the important part. I think
1: uh, I'll start with quarterback. Uh, I mean, it's you know the classic place to start, but I think that I mean obviously it's the most important position in football, and it's been the area that Oregon's seen the most dramatic improvement for my expectations, probably. We all kind of hoped that Bo Nix would be transformed in a new situation at Oregon, uh, and you know have a better offensive line, which he certainly has had, uh, and face a little weaker competition outside of the Georgia game, which has been true. But I wasn't, you know, I don't know if I really believed that we would see him play to this level coming to Oregon at all. And uh, he's just had such a good command of the offense, and even though there's been. Yeah, obviously mainly that one big mistake in the Wazoo game. Um, he's brought, like, a very successful offense back to Oregon, which we really haven't seen, you know, putting up this many points consistently in a group that I've had this much confidence in since 2016. Uh, or, I mean, 2015 with Vernon Adams, not 2016. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so that's, that's a <laughs> much big, different. yeah, much different. Um, but that's a big change. And that's like brought a lot more enjoyment back to watching Oregon football, honestly. Uh, and so that's been the most exciting thing to see. And I think that you have to credit the quarterback uh, with a lot of that success.
0: And I mean, Dillingham as well, that's not really something on our list, but I think really all the offensive coaches, especially dillingham and clem have kind of like those were our two biggest question marks right in the coaching staff it was like Mm -hmm. okay everyone all the ucla people are telling us this clem guy can't actually coach people (laughs) and everybody else is telling us that kenny dillingham has never called plays so like these are really the two biggest questions right um and i think those are somehow those are the two questions i think we've answered the quickest about this staff again we're talking about six games of sample size Uh, so you know these things could fall apart by the end of the season and we would look foolish but we can only evaluate what we've seen and what we've seen so far you're completely right I mean Bo has had a ton of time to throw and he's done a really good job um, this entire season really even in the Georgia game they moved the ball I know we made a couple mistakes there you mentioned the wazoo throw like we know that that's fine I'm willing to forgive the wazoo throw because of the way he led that team back down the field late in that game multiple times to get game-winning scores. Like it's, I have a hard time. And I think a lot of people do evaluating Bo Nix just because of the meme that's around him. And you know, which meme Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the Bo Nix is, you know, this is a new year for him. He's focused. He's in a new system. He's got a better offensive line. Like, that's all. That was all a meme preseason, and for good reason. Like because people have been genuinely saying that stuff for years, and it's been genuinely false, like every time. But it's real this year. I mean, he's actually improved. He seriously does look comfortable in this offense, and he's running it as well as anybody could, really. Um, so I'm I've been really impressed with him. I got to give him an A, honestly, an A plus in the last five weeks since the Georgia game. Um, He's been everything we need. And like, honestly, I don't, I don't know how deep we want to get into this next point I'm going to bring up, but the identity of the Oregon program, you know, we talked all ad nauseum in the off season about what is the identity. The identity is offense. Like we know that, um, Oregon has never had elite, elite defenses and it's never, you know, we built the success of this program on, putting points on the board and spreading people out. So maybe Lanning took that to heart, and maybe that's why the offense is doing so well. I don't think it's ever as easy an explanation as that. Um, I don't. If you have any thoughts on that, feel free to jump in and interrupt me. But I'm just really glad that we have something to kind of hang our hats on right now as fans, um, and especially that that thing is offense, because despite how good those Avalos defenses were under Cristobal, it never really felt like what we were supposed to be doing even though we had justin herbert we still weren't putting up points we still weren't doing you know we weren't blowing anybody out um and the fact that as i started reading hithliday's film review today the first sentence is this game was effectively decided in 82 combined offensive and defensive snaps that's exactly what i want to hear against arizona like that's exactly what i want to hear in a random pac-12 game against an opponent that is just straight up inferior. So, I mean, we've also talked about, you know, towards the end of the schedule, this thing gets tougher. But, um, I mean, there's no reason we can't put up similar numbers against, like, Cal and Colorado. And, honestly, UW at this point, too. So, um, long-winded way of saying, yes, I agree with quarterback. For me, it's like an an A, uh, solid A, A A-plus after week one. And, honestly, the same goes for... The running back room as well i mean i <laughs> in the off season if you had told us that uh bucky irving and noah whittington were going to get all pretty much all the carries and jordan james i should say um and that byron cardwell wouldn't get any and that we were still the best running back room in the pac-12 by a long shot i would have kind of laughed at you um I don't, do you think that's a fair assessment right now are we the best running back room in the pac-12 like
1: yeah, I think that's an interesting question for sure. In terms of depth, I mean, I think the there aren't many pac 12 programs that can go five deep at running back the way that Oregon can at all. Um, certainly individual players, I think Zach Charbonnet's probably playing like the pac 12s best running back right now. Um, and, you know, Tavion Thomas is still a dude. Yeah. Um, But the depth of the room, Oregon stacks up against anyone. And honestly, you know, part of it is credit to the Oregon offensive line. I mean, obviously, these position groups are all interconnected. And I'm really glad you mentioned the coaching staff as well, because, you know, that was a huge transformation this offseason that has gone well through the first six games overall. Um, But this running back room has been put in a position for success and taken advantage of it. Uh, And it's come in a, you know, weird way. It's not uh, quite, you know, what other running backs look like uh, in terms of, you know, a lead back gaining what, whatever percentage, 80% of the yards or something, uh, or the touchdowns being vultured largely by a quarterback. I mean, you could, you know, throw Bo Nix into the running production grade overall, if you wanted to do it that way. Um, but however it's getting done, I think that it's, you know, been very successful for Oregon. I think that a, a is absolutely a fair grade. Um, and it's certainly in the conversation, depending whether you want to wait a single dude or, you know, a committee approach and the depth of Oregon's running back room against other PAC 12, uh, you know, foes. I think that it has to be in the conversation for the best running back room in, in the conference.
0: Definitely. I think it's pretty safe to say it's the best O-line in the conference right now, though. Um, and honestly, it's being touted as one of the best in the country. I understand what happened against Georgia, and that's kind of why I'm you know, i backing off that overall statement a little bit. Um, but in general, they've looked phenomenal. I mean, the one sack for, my, for one yard uh, against Stanford was disappointing just for the numbers. Apparently, Dillingham was like... Uh, he was, like, trying to get that rubbed off the stat sheet or something. Um, <laughs> But in general, like, this O-line has done everything we've asked of them, uh, and then some, in the Pac-12 so far. So, I kind of have to give him an A as well. I mean, on offense, is there any position group that's below an A for you? Like, Wide receiver, tight end, do either of those get down there? That's an interesting
1: question. I think I mean, you can't give everything an A, right? Like, it, you have to have some criticism of some of these plays. I think, like, the wide receiver room is an area where we had a lot of talent, and uh, but it was unproven. There really wasn't much production coming back exactly. Um, and a guy like Chase Cota, even, who had produced some at UCLA, wasn't, you know, a lead receiver there necessarily, Um and there were questions about exactly how he would convert to Oregon and whether he would be able to be a solid wide receiver, too. Like, I think compared to expectations, this group has, again, uh, exceeded them. We were, you know, asking all offseason for a wide receiver, one, to step up. I think Troy Franklin's done that for this team. I think Chase Cota's filled in as a two. And I think that it looks like a very solid group, Um But, you know, is this the best Oregon wide receiver room ever or anything? No, I don't think so. Um, I think groups with, you know, Josh Huff and Braylon Addison, um, you know, D'Anthony Thomas and some of those receiver rooms and such like those teams probably have a better collection of playmakers based on where they're at. Right. Like based on where this group is at right now. Um, Mm -hmm. so with wide receivers, you know, maybe I'll knock them down and, and give them a B plus or a B, but I think it's all about, you know, what scale are we grading these different groups on? You mentioned it with the O line, like, is this the best offensive line in the country? I don't know. It's not a hill I'm willing to die on. I would say probably not. Um, but they you know, they don't play Georgia again, nor do they play Alabama or, you know, name any other elite defense nationally, really, at all. Uh, this, mm-hmm. The opponents that they're going to be playing, at least, you know, throughout the rest of the conference slate, they are going to have as much of an advantage against as any team in the country and be able to create, you know, I mean, right now they lead uh, the nation, I think, and run-push, Obviously, only one sack allowed, which was, you know, a fringe sack at that. Um, So they're doing their job as well as anyone in the country in terms of setting the rest of the offense up for success. Uh, And so, you know, I feel a similar way about all these positions because the defenses in the Pac-12 this year are not very good at all. Uh, There are a lot of weak secondaries. I mean, you mentioned, like, Oregon's ability to put up Points on you know a Cal or or a UW. That's even true of the better teams in the conference, like UCLA. In in, in a week and a half here, Oregon's going to have every chance to you know put up points on them. And even if this wide receiver room wasn't able to have a breakout game against Georgia, they're you know able to do it against most of the secondaries that they'll face in this league, and looked like a, you know, B plus, A minus level wide receiver room in the context of the teams they're actually playing against. Uh, and, and that's worth a lot for, I think, where we're at this season in terms of, you know, we'll get into some of this national conversation. But for me, a lot of the year is about, like, let's learn what we have with this coaching staff. You try to get to as, you know, good a record as you can that you're able to build off of and recruit off of. Um, and mostly just measure yourself between your peers in the Pac-12. But this isn't a make-or-break playoff or national title year uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I think it was always about putting yourself in a position to win the Pac-12. That was always the barometer of success going into the season, and measured against you know Pac-12 level opponents, all of these position groups are exceeding our expectations.
0: Yeah, they are. Uh, And for that, i got to give the entire offense an A so far. I mean, even when you factor in the Georgia game to the average, it's still over 40 points a game, um, which is pretty damn impressive considering it was just three in that first one. So, um, yeah, the amount of improvement has been insane, obviously. The one room we haven't talked about is the tight end room, but, I mean, it's only a handful of guys. It's not much to say. I I like that Ferguson is a red zone threat. Um, I would like to see... The one thing I, I would really like to see more um, is in the red zone, like getting them the ball in the end zone more. Uh, I guess we saw that against Wazoo, but it was kind of, it was like a, you know, fake the power run out of Jumbo and then throw it over the top kind of deal where he was wide open. Um, but I mean, against better opponents, we haven't really seen like the the throw it up lob and let Ferg get it. Not that I don't think they can do it. It's just something I kind of want to see as a fan, so um, but that's not a knock against the group at all. That's also been an A for me. Um, even Matavao getting that carry, you know, everybody just seems to be focused and executing at a high level, which it's really easy to get caught up in, oh, this guy's a four-star and this guy's a five-star. Like, we should be able to do this, this, and this, no problem. It's, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that and forget that, like, these are college kids who, I mean, we just got out of college, Read, you know, <laughs> mess up time and again uh, not always necessarily doing the right thing all the time um, and that can translate to football like everybody's got to be on the same page on the field um, and that's where good coaching comes in and so far like I mentioned earlier I, I think we have seen good coaching so yeah I especially um,
1: under a first year staff those things are important and you know particularly yeah. after like the expectations of the past few years, talking about playoffs and not being able to get it done and then going, you know, and getting blown out three times in the last four games last season and opening this season with another blowout. I think the ability to have improvement and keep this group together, obviously is a defining storyline of the first half of the season.
0: Definitely. I mean, that type of loss is one that can make a team collapse uh, if they're not, you know, if they're not mentally prepared for it. So, the fact that these guys have been able to get up and continue fighting and like dominate almost everyone they've played since then is is pretty impressive. Um, anything less than an A for you on offense, like overall? Yeah, no, I,
1: I would go with an A as well. Uh, definitely, yeah, the offense has exceeded expectations, and you mentioned it at, at the top, but the staff, especially like Dillingham, was a huge question. Uh, and that's always how I viewed the hire, you know, was just like, I think this is a guy to take a shot on, a guy that Lanning knows better than anyone. Um, but mm-hmm. we didn't know, you know, we, Lanning doesn't have any track record with his ability to hire staff. Um, and Dillingham doesn't have a proven track record as, you know, an independent mind crafting an offense exactly. Uh, and it's, you know, Lanning's trust has proven that it that it's paid
0: off so far this season question marks or question marks not answers one way or the other right and, and that so, was you know, the like repeating all the that time. was
1: the frustration with so much of how people covered this staff um and this off, the offense going into the year is i just felt like it was such a new look and so many people were quick to um you know assign the identity of the past few years of cristobal to what oregon would be this year Uh, And I think we both saw a lot of room for improvement, a ton of. I mean, you look at all these groups outside of the O-line is pretty similar personnel wise and some of the tight end room. But all of the skill positions are completely overhauled in terms of the literal guys that Oregon is playing, not to mention, you know, the scheme and positions that they're being put in. Um, And so I think it was fair to look at it as a question mark. And yeah, so far, I'd give it an A on offense for sure.
0: All right, let's move to the defense. Obviously, there's a little bit more to talk about here um, in, the, in the negative side of things. Um, as we mentioned in the last episode, I do think the defense stepped up a lot in this Arizona game. Um, I believe it was a 77% success rate on defense, which is pretty damn good. Um, that Only 8% of uh, Arizona's runs gained 10-plus yards, according to Hithloday. Um, but I'll stop riffing, you know, I'll stop just reading his stuff and tell you to go read it. Um, what do we make of this defense, man? Obviously, they played terrible in the Georgia game. Because of that, a lot of their numbers are still not great overall. The tackling was still an issue in like week four against Wazoo. Um, but I do think it has improved a little bit. Maybe that's just because we played Stanford and Arizona. I don't. I don't know. What are your overall thoughts on this defense so far? I think it's
1: binding its footing. Uh, I think that there's a few important pieces in there that are impact players. Uh, like, you know, we knew these guys, Brandon Dorless and Christian Gonzalez and Bennett Williams, um, you know, were always impact players. They've shown that this season. Uh, and the linebackers, obviously, Sewell and Flo, I think were banged up to start. And we kind of knew that, but I feel like in last game and I think going forward we'll see how much improvement they can show throughout the rest of the season Um, and I think once that linebacking room comes into form this defense can look a lot better Um, but it's it's been a story of steady improvement for the defense you know throughout these first six weeks and the good news is that after the Georgia game they've gotten it done when they needed to uh you know I mean first Wazoo was obviously the closest game and it was up and down um but when it you know when they had their backs against the wall at the end there they were able to get the big stop and then get the pick six um and you know they've Battled throughout that game. Triquez got his, you know, got an interception that was important. Uh, And they're kind of finding their footing slowly, I think. Uh, But you're right. It hasn't been pretty throughout all of this time. And there definitely are some issues here.
0: Uh, Finding your footing, I think, is a good uh, phrase. I kind of like that as a, you know, flagpole for this defense right now. I think the biggest like high-level observation I can make about this team's on-field play is that the offense has been covering for the defense's shortcomings. Um, The defense benefits from when the offense does well in a plethora of ways. I don't need to explain them to you because you're already a football fan if you're listening to this. Um, But in short, Oregon's defensive numbers against the pass are terrible this season still. Um, We're talking about averages – and percentiles, sorry, around like the <laughs> the second and third and stuff. I mean, there's bottom 10 numbers um, in the country from this defense still defending the pass. Um, total EPA, they're 127th in the country. EPA per play, 121st. EPA per game, 125th. Uh, and then the last one I'll throw out is success rate. They're 118th against the pass on defense. That is bad. That is, no matter how you want to slice it, like, those are terrible numbers. Um, It's something we definitely need to see improvement with, and especially in this game against UCLA. Uh, Against the run, the Ducks have been better, which, again, is kind of like a band-aid for the the pass defense in a lot of ways. Um, You're still able to do enough things on defense when you can stop the run to where you can bend and not break against the pass, but... Against the run, all the numbers are floating around 65 65th in the country, which is top half, you know, um, out of 130, but not actually, it's pretty much dead center. So, I don't know. Against the run, I feel a little bit better about this defense, just looking at the numbers, but on the field, we've really only seen one time where they needed to get a stop, and um, and that's, that's part of the reason why I'm excited to see this team play some better teams down the stretch. Yeah, that Wazoo game was great. And, yeah, we got that pick six on the, basically on the other team's goal line um, to finish it off. But I don't think that's demonstrative. I struggle with this word every week, man. I need to <laughs> look up what it actually is. Demonstrative, demonstrative of how the defense is actually played uh, against the pass. So, Again, we got ballers on defense. This is a case where stars, the stars, aren't adding up into obvious success uh, in the places that it should.
1: Yeah, that that's exactly right. Uh, and there's are specific areas that Oregon's, you know, working to find this. I mean, tackling was the first thing that was, you know, addressed after the Georgia game, and I think we've seen some improvement there. Um, I think things left to be discovered are, you know, a consistent pass rush would be very important. The run defense overall has been solid, but the pass defense has been really bad, like you said. I mean, really bad. We can't ignore those statistics. Like, yes, there are, you know, in that Georgia game, Oregon got blown up pretty bad, and there it's hard to recover in any statistical-based model from that uh, without piling on a lot more data um but still Oregon you know is not a top I I mean going into this year we talked about could this Oregon defense be somewhere near what the 2019 defense was and that has been not close to true so far no um not at all right uh and I think that's been Mainly in in the way that they've defended the pass, whether that you know, and in part how they've rushed the passer, um, but also in you know the talent at cornerback outside of Christian Gonzalez hasn't really shown up in terms of like a quality and reliable cornerback too. Maybe we're starting to turn the corner there. Like we have seen improvement from Manning and Florence, and I think there's a chance that this grade. Would be different going into next, going into or or at the end of this season after we see, you know, the home stretch of the Pac-12 slate. But right now, I don't think you could grade our secondary any better than, you know, a a C plus maybe. Um, I don't know yeah, where you would put even it. You that might be generous? Yeah, right. Yeah. It might be. Um, I you know, I think the only reason I say that is because there's some rooms for it some uh, potential for improvement that we're starting to see um, and a little bit of promise. But in terms of what they've shown so far, especially before this Arizona game, um, you know, it, it was really bad. Not Probably not a passing grade, really.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of the reason they found success in that Arizona game is because the D-line finally stepped up and provided a pass rush. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, I'd I'd go with a a C or even like a D-plus in the secondary so far. C-minus sounds – I think that sounds right. Um, D-line is the next group I want to talk about, even though it's kind of reverse or, you know, it's not in any particular order. Um, I mentioned they started doing better. They got three sacks on McKee, and they pressured uh, Jaden Delora a lot against Arizona. But in general, I mean – Think about the names that we talk about on this D-line, right? Brandon Dorless, Jordan Riley was supposed to be amazing. Keon Ware-Hudson, we know what he can do. He's been around for since 2019 now. Casey Rogers was another solid transfer. Like, Rogers and Riley are the two starters on that D-line. And I really don't, along along with Dorless, I really don't know that they're helping all that much right now. Um, D-line might be the hardest position group to evaluate just throughout the course of a game, and that's probably why i don't have the best like read on it but i mean we know mace funa has taken a step back from his or at least he's not hitting the top end projections that we were hoping for with him dj johnson i mean yeah he had a great spring great spring game but we got to move past that like the guy needs to start putting up some numbers um i don't know man i haven't felt great about this group and then as we go down like Taki Taimani is somebody we were talking about as being one of the best like nose guards in the in the Pac-12 um, from his time at Washington. He's not even starting. And when he is, he's when he is playing, he's not like a, a difference maker. That's kind of what I need to see from D-line, our D lineman is like, can you be a difference maker? Can you be somebody that like pisses off the opposing team to the extent where they can't run their offense? Um, and I just don't know that we've seen that so far.
1: Yeah. Do you feel any differently? I think that's exactly right. We've had a lot of guys on the defensive line so far, but not a lot of difference makers. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen like Dorless is struggling to, um, you know, Dorless and DJ Johnson probably are the two guys who we thought maybe they can take a step from being complementary secondary pieces to like, they're the main guy who take you know who takes on the double team uh, and can still cause some problems and we haven't seen them completely show that yet uh, and you know otherwise I think these guys have filled in roles well I mean Oregon's needed some depth Popo Amave going out obviously is a big loss that Oregon has responded to. Um, and, you know, recovered from probably better than almost any other team in the Pac-12 would from losing a guy of that caliber. Uh, and Jordan Riley deserves some credit for stepping in there. But still, I think you are missing the high-end level talent on this defensive line. Um, I'm not sure if that help is necessarily coming down the stretch. I think you talk about the success against Arizona and Stanford. um And I'm not so sure that that's about improvement in the defensive line versus just facing weaker opponents. You know, in what happened to be a sequential order that makes it look like the defensive line is improving with their pressures. Because Arizona and Stanford have really bad offensive lines, of course. Uh, And so I just I I have to see it against someone better. UCLA would be the opportunity to
0: do that. Yeah, that's a good point. I I don't know, man. Them, and we can also loop in the linebackers here too because they're part of the front seven. I mean, this is something that's easier to talk about because there's fewer guys, but straight up, we should we should be seeing more out of the, out of this group. Um, I don't know if Leduc and Brown have filled backup roles very well yet. Uh, Sewell and Bossa, you know, they're solid, but like where are the big plays? That's really what I'm just looking for up yeah. and down from this defense. It's like, where are the big plays? Where is the sacks? Straight up, where are sacks? Give me more deflections. Give me more, like, crunching tackles and stuff. I really love the intensity that Flo showed in that Arizona game. Um, I mean, you, see, everyone's seen the video of, like, or saw it live of just his eyes, like, when he's playing. Uh, he's absolutely locked in. That's what I love to see. Yeah. Um, be tryhards, like <laughs> fly around, do whatever it takes to make some plays because uh, we certainly need it on this defense. I mean, we can't go the rest of the year just hoping that things will get better, um, and hoping that teams won't be able to score on us. So
1: yeah, it feels yeah. it feels to me right now like Bennett Williams is the primary playmaker of this defense. I mean, he's the guy with two forced fumbles. Um and honestly, like, Triquez Bridges might be the second biggest playmaker for Oregon right now, uh, and that's not to say that on a down-to-down basis he's been completely consistent, but he has two interceptions, um, and especially the one against Wazoo was a play that, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for making, uh, and both those guys have kind of proven – in a bill i mean bennett williams has done it more so at the college level he's always been able to force turnovers uh and triquez has a history of it when he was in high school um but i think back to the fresno state game to start last year and the havoc that Flo and cave were able to create in that game forcing turnovers early on uh, and it felt like oh my god this defense like really uh you never know when a big play is going to happen. And that's something we haven't seen at all so far this year. Um, And I don't really know what to say about that. I think Sewell and Flo are supposed to be those guys, though. Uh, They're the other guys that I think you look at um, and expect to create a few more of those plays. And it's surprising that we haven't seen either of them have really any of them so far this season. Um, but yeah uh, I, I you know I don't know what else to say other than hopefully they round into form and are able to present some of that in the second half of the season
0: overall I'm thinking like c minus for the defense you think that's fair yeah
1: honestly I would say I probably should amend my rankings, my ratings a bit. Uh, <laughs> honestly, the secondary, yeah, the secondary should be no higher than a C minus based on what we've seen. Um, I think projecting forward, you could say a C plus for, for the outlook for that group, um, but probably a C minus based at, or probably a D plus honestly based on what we've seen so far from them. The linebackers, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm, a B minus maybe C yeah maybe a B minus there and a C plus for the defensive line or maybe I would flip those but overall it probably rounds out somewhere around a C C minus for me defensively um and compared to expectations I again I mean we can't shy away from the fact that we talked about this group being similar to the 2019 defense And we weren't the only ones in the Oregon fan base who thought that, you know, not necessarily that this group would be top five nationally, but that this group could be top 20 nationally. Uh, And even by the most generous interpretation, they're maybe, you know, the 60th best defense in the country right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's... That's (laughs) Nowhere it's that's nowhere near <laughs> that's not very good, and it's nowhere near their talent
0: level. Yeah, I think overall for this team we can't I know it's so easy to give a plethora of excuses to throw away the Georgia loss, but it will be part of this season's identity forever. Like there's no escaping that. You gotta with factoring that in, I'm thinking I'm giving this team like a solid B like a solid B plus even maybe because I'm willing to weigh the offense as being a little bit more important than the defense right now um in terms of helping us win games but I think the funny part about this team is that the narrative is flipped from preseason preseason we were like okay Dan Lanning led this best one of the best defenses of all time and has been part of some other great ones like we should be fine on defense. We know we have the talent for it. We were fine on defense under the the previous regime, um, and yet it's now by the six games in, it's the exact opposite. It's okay. We know the offense is going to score points, but can the defense get enough stops? Um, so yeah, I I don't know if you feel any different about kind of rating the team overall, but I'm thinking like a B B plus. Yeah, I think I think
1: I'd go with a B plus. Um, I mean, we have to keep in mind like you predicted Oregon to lose the Arizona game last week. I thought that that would be a close game. I predicted preseason Oregon to lose the Washington State game, uh, and obviously, you know, we both had Oregon losing the Georgia game, not in that fashion, but mm-hmm. there were four and two felt like the more likely yeah. outcome going into this bye week. Um so yes, five and one's impressive. On the other side of that though, you have to we have to admit like what, Oregon was in the fourth quarter of that wazoo game with, you know, a five percent chance to win or whatever it was. Like point two Yeah. <laughs> that was not a that was like a Game that very easily could have, and at multiple points, you know, if Bucky Irving lets the ball hit the ground on that fourth down catch, like we're talking about this Oregon team in very different terms right now. Um, and we're maybe questioning, like, oh, it, you know, what's going to happen in this UCLA game? Can Oregon hang with them, or is Oregon going to get exposed because they still haven't really beaten a very good team? um because they, you know, would have just beaten Arizona and Stanford who aren't that good, and BYU, who, you know, looks pretty fraudulent and didn't have a few key pieces in that game. So I go back and forth here with, you know, how successful this Oregon uh team has been through the first six games, but I think that part of what fuels my optimism is the improvement we've seen and the potential for more improvement from this team. You know, I think I look at teams like, you know, like a UCLA coming into, coming into OTS, And I think they're playing, they're playing or have played about as well as they can. Uh, And I think Oregon does have another gear to go to if this defense gets rolling uh, and this offense is able to sustain its production. Um, And, something that we'll get into here is, you know, what some of these statistical models have to say about Oregon, which is pretty encouraging in terms of how betting, you know, how how of sportsbook, sportsbooks evaluate the Ducks in terms of a power ranking scale. Um, and, you know, the lines that Oregon is getting in terms of conference odds, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Like, Oregon's getting a lot of respect from the people who do this the most seriously uh, and have the most investment in getting right their projections for what's going to happen in the rest of the season. Um, and so that's that's worth considering too uh, and is a sign of encouragement for this how I view this Oregon team also.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, so let's talk about some of those numbers. The the, um, FanDuel is the site we're using for these conference win odds because that's the site you found them at, Reed. So um, there's no real surprises across the board. I think just kind of glancing over these. Clemson and Ohio State are both minus 310 to win their respective conferences. Um, that's not a surprise. Texas is a plus 250 in the most contentious conference, uh, the Big 12, which makes sense. Oklahoma State's right behind them. Oklahoma State and TCU actually have the same mm-hmm. odds as Oklahoma State to win that. That's kind of interesting. Big 10, I already mentioned Ohio State way ahead. SEC, Georgia's even money to win the conference. Bama's right behind them. Uh, that seems to be a two-horse race. But in the Pac-12, there are three teams with – Better than plus 300 odds um, to win, meaning you know one to three. Like you could bet 100 bucks on UCLA and win 300 um, if they win the conference. And USC is at plus 175, and this surprised me. The Ducks were at plus 160 as the favorites to win the conference. Um, now, obviously, anyone who knows betting and knows math understands that plus 160 is not saying it's a likelihood to happen. You know, if that was a minus in front of there, I'd feel a lot better about that. But um, the fact that Vegas is buying into what Oregon has offered in Pac-12 play so far is very encouraging. Um, I think this is going to I think these will definitely change no matter what the result of the UCLA game is. Um, but is this a three horse race or is it a four horse race in the Pac-12?
1: Yeah, I think. I'm writing about Utah USC this week on my Substack. I'll continue to plug that, and I think I'm framing that game uh, like it's you know a survival game for Utah really in the Pac-12 race, uh, mm. and I think they have a chance to get up and dust themselves off after that UCLA game um, and get a win over USC. They're are, they're three point favorites right now, I believe, um, and. It will be an interesting game. Utah obviously plays a lot better at home than they do on the road, and USC's only had one real road challenge um, that they obviously struggled in at Oregon State. We'll get to the preview of that game, but that determines to me whether Utah's still in this or not. Uh, I'm not ruling them out of it yet. They're plus plus one 1,000 right now, uh, and... It's, But it's interesting because you talk to Utah fans and they feel pretty down on the team after the UCLA loss. Uh, I, This is not a typical Utah front seven. I think a lot of people, you know, have rightfully over the past decade assumed that Utah's front seven is always going to be good. And that hasn't been the case this year. Um, and that's, you know very promising for Oregon a team that's offensive line is excelling and is looking across at Utah which was supposed to be maybe the one front seven uh, at least traditionally that could have uh, could have caused them problems and all of a sudden that doesn't look as threatening Um, and I think in the minds of Utah fans despite what they did to the Ducks twice last season which we're all obviously familiar with, uh, I think it's fair to say that that trip to Oregon uh, is starting to feel like a like very likely loss within that fan base, which is surprising given that going into the season, I think that they ex- they viewed it more as a tough game, but a likely win or a toss-up.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Utah fans have been abysmal um, (laughs) in regards to their gloating preseason and now they're just down in the dumps. Um, I can't say I hate seeing it but I want to talk about some of these 538 numbers um, that I put here on the doc and we can post these well I'll make sure we post these on social media after as well so people know what we're talking about but um, 538 if you're not familiar it's just a statistical modeling website um they do odds on a lot of different things you know soccer baseball any other sport uh, or major sport they got four horses so to say in the pac-12 race right now obviously usc oregon ucla and utah um and they also have elo ratings fpi ratings ap ratings elo is just a simple rating system like it, it puts a numerical value to who's beaten who essentially um out of those four teams oregon and really, out of this entire model, Oregon and Penn State seem to be the only two teams that are, like, stable uh, outside the top 10 of in terms of, like, all these ratings match up to what we think this team is. Um, for example, Penn State is 10th in the AP poll, 11th in their ELO rating, and 12th in FPI. Uh, Oregon is 12th, 15th, and 13th by comparison. So, like, everybody pretty solidly rates Oregon, like, being right there in the pack um in terms of pack what this means for the pac 12 i want to talk about the win out ratings because i I really like 538 because you can go and select like okay what if for example usc wins out um i can check that if usc and oregon win out like i can check those boxes on my sheet and like see what happens actually won't let me check that because it's too unlikely to happen but um like for example USC has a 40 they say has a 47% chance to beat Utah this weekend um, which conversely 53% chance for Utah to beat USC if Utah wins that game their odds of winning the conference go from 12, 15% to 26% and it evens everything out i don't know about you but i have had a really tough time picking that game between USC and Utah Uh, On the other side of it, if USC wins that game, they shoot up to being a 51% chance to win the conference. Right now, they're at 36, and Oregon's second at 27. So, I don't know if you have any thoughts on those numbers or what stands out to you, but um, this game has the potential to be the most important game in the Pac-12 for the rest of the season, Uh, and it's, it's midway through it. Obviously, I'm not saying like the UCLA Oregon game won't matter or anything like that, but these games affect each other in ways that we don't really think about until after they happen a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. One thing I've been struggling with, um, not only in terms of you know what about this game is not only my prediction for who's going to win, but who you know from an Oregon perspective, the Ducks should be rooting for to win this game. I, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because on the one hand, Utah, it, you know, it's interconnected with how you view Oregon's chances against Utah, I guess, because, um, those are the four contenders and, you know, Utah losing this game would essentially take them out of the Pac-12 race. Uh, it would mean that Oregon could survive, you know, if Oregon and if Utah wins out and Oregon, well, okay, let me restart here. If Utah loses the <laughs> USC game but wins the rest of them, they would have two losses. And if Oregon won out and only lost to Utah, uh, the Ducks would still make it in over Utah, if that makes sense. So basically, it's giving the Ducks mm-hmm. a one-game cushion uh, if they lose to Utah and win the rest of their games. Um but on the other side of it, like USC could be in the race here uh, and them suffering a loss to Utah would have a similar effect where I think it goes to common opponent. Uh, and so if the, if USC lose to Utah and Oregon was able to beat Utah, then Oregon could suffer a loss to a UCLA or an Oregon state. Uh, and they would have it, they would be in over USC and also in over Utah because of the... A tie-breaking win there um so it's kind of an interesting thing here yeah uh and obviously it, you know it, i think part of the reason why we don't talk about those implications so much is because as i just showed they're pretty difficult to lay out um, there's yeah. a lot of like complicating overlapping contingencies there um that made it make it hard to explain in a super straightforward way Uh, You know, importantly, I think Utah is basically playing for their Pac-12 life, and that makes it very important in and of itself because Utah was the conference title favorite in a lot of people's eyes going into this year, or co-favorite at the least, being the defending champs uh, and being the team that had the most known around it in the conference. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And on the other side, I think the USC ratings are... Interesting. You talk about the consistency uh, between AP, which is kind of public perception, ELO, which is like a blind resume, and FPI, which is like this forward ra- looking power ratings uh, system, kind of. Um, and USC's is interesting because, you know, the public has them at or, you know, the AP, which is public perception, has them at 7th. The FPI, which is kind of the power rank, ranking projections, have them at 10th. But based on the resume that they've played, the ELO rating has them at 25th. Uh, yeah. well, I think that symbolizes that we're working off a lot of unknown with USC. Um, and this is a chance to learn about them. Uh, and there's reasons to pick out a lot of flaws between Utah and USC going into this. I think we thought that this game would be a matchup between Pac-12 juggernauts. Uh, and it's turned into like kind of a fraud test in some ways. Uh, <laughs> and that might seem harsh of, of USC because they are still undefeated and they are the highest ranked team in the conference. But that Oregon State result is head scratching, uh, especially looking at it now. The beeves are not the team that we thought they were going into that game. Uh, and USC really, really struggled, uh, needed a last second touchdown to pull them, to take a lead in that game Uh, and, you know, needed also four interceptions from Chance Nolan to survive. Uh, and on the other side, Utah played Oregon state, um, and you can say, well, when, you know, Utah played Oregon state, Utah was at home. And when USC played Oregon state, USC was on the road, but The problem with that argument is on Saturday, Utah will be at home and USC will be on the road. (laughs) So that kind of, you know, if you want to evaluate the teams on a neutral field, it works against your argument a little bit. But if you're trying to evaluate them in the context of what they'll look like Saturday, it's actually the exact type of comparison you should make. Uh, And Mm -hmm. the results in those Oregon State games were pretty dramatically different for the two teams.
0: I mean let's just think about who USC has played so far, right? Rice, nobody. Stanford, absolutely terrible team. That they showed flaws against. Yeah. Fresno, terrible. I don't know how I don't know if the listeners have been keeping up with the Mountain West at all, but Fresno State is a terrible team this year. They lost to Yukon. And when you lose to UConn, something is very, very wrong with your program. Uh, and again, Fresno showed signs of life against USC. Oregon State, we already went over that. Not exactly a great result for the Trojans. ASU showed some life at points against USC, same thing with Wazoo, like even more so, and which makes sense because they're a better team. You know what this USC team is doing? It's what Mario Cristobal's teams used to do. It's they would win the games and not necessarily look like they were blowing anybody out. Now the perception of that is different from the outside. Because they have Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and because they're, you know, uh, <laughs> they have the second Heisman contender on their team. Um, and because the defense is making all these crazy plays with interceptions. But I I mean, this is going to be a massive game, this USC-Utah game. I am so excited to watch it, probably more so than any other Pac-12 game this year from like a neutral fan perspective. Um, I'm I'm just so excited for it. And you're right, like the home field advantage thing lines up exactly how I want it to in, in terms of perception for either of these teams and what we understand about them so far. Um, I will say back to the chart real quick to do your comparison, like how does this game affect Oregon? The, the 538 chart says if you, so, you know, the chart right now before the game has Oregon with a 27% chance to win the conference, right? If Utah wins, it stays at 27%. If USC wins, it goes down to 26%. In my mind, that's negligible. I don't care. I'm here to watch an entertaining game and just learn from it. Um, and honestly, I think I'd be rooting for Utah a little bit. A little bit. Um, just because of this Big Ten crap that USC is swimming in. Um, so yeah, again, I'm super excited for that game. I'm really excited to, to see what you write about it. Um, and I mean, Oregon-UCLA next week, man. It's... These games only get better down the stretch. It's really going to be fun. Um, you mentioned it a little bit, uh, or we got close to it, but I wanted to pose a question to you about the most shocking results in the Pac-12 so far this year, or at least involving Pac-12 teams. Um, first one on the board for me has to be the the Oregon Georgia game. Um, I know we expected, you know, a lot of people expected Oregon Oregon to get blown out, but just the the way in which it happened, like, was it was 49-3, to period. I I think that perfectly exemplifies it. Um, Utah losing to Florida, I I mean, it was a one-point spread, but everybody still kind of picked Utah to win that game. Um, I don't know, what are some other ones that stuck out to you in terms of like important results, either in or out of the conference, that weren't expected?
1: Yeah, I think the two biggest ones are UCLA the past two weeks, uh, and we've addressed that a bit. Um, But those no result, I think, transformed my perception of the conference more than what UCLA did both of the past two weeks. Those might be the top two in my mind. That's uh, a great point. W- people really thought UW was going to win that game. Um, and it looked like UW was on their way to be a top, you know, not only a top four contender for the Pac 12, but uh, not just like the clear fourth there. Potentially, you know, as good as anyone in the conference. Um, I think some people, if they'd really handled business at UCLA, would have had them, you know, right up there with USC. Uh, they were surging, you know, towards top 15 in the polls. Um, mm-hmm. And then, on, you know, the other one is the win last weekend, UCLA over Utah, which was yeah, you know, the preseason conference, the first time we've seen a preseason conference favorite fall in season, uh, you know, in pac 12 play this year. Um, so that mm-hmm. of course was a very significant loss. Uh, and I think that one was important because it further solidified what people think UCLA is now. Um, otherwise, I think, I mean, there've been a lot of fun ones, right? It, it's interesting to think of the track with Washington too. Like, going back to that that day where, you know, we had Oregon beat BYU, and then everyone was like, oh, what's UW going to do? And pressure <laughs> was on. And they absolutely, you know, blew away anyone's possible expectation of what they would do to Michigan State. Uh, and they looked mm-hmm. legit. And a lot of people were celebrating what Kalen DeBoer had done there, and rightfully so. It was at the time, that wasn't an unreasonable thing to think at all, um, but things quickly changed. Right, they, you know, they dropped the game to UCLA on the road, and I was like, okay, head scratching result. But you know, I guess they showed some a fight late in this game. Maybe UCLA is better than we think. We'll see what they do against Utah. Uh, and right as we were learning, oh, UCLA is pretty good. Maybe UW's good too. U went and lost to <laughs> Arizona State. Um, and completely threw away any of their hopes to get back in the conference title race in the process.
0: Yeah, I would think, I, I think that's a great point. UW has had a crazy season <laughs> arc already, and we're in week six, <laughs> like, or I guess week seven now. Um, I want to shout out Wazoo beating Wisconsin. This one kind of, I feel like it hasn't gotten as much replay value for in a lot of people's heads. That's a huge result, and one that if Wisconsin had won that game, Paul Christ might might still have a job. because um, four and two looks a heck of a lot better than three and three when one of those one of those second threes is to Wazoo. Um, OSU playing USC, obviously, you know, shocking and consequential. unfortunate is another adjective I can throw on there. And one that I didn't have on this list, but I was thinking of uh, just now, Oregon State and Stanford last week. I mean, we knew Oregon State had a lot of flaws after that performance in uh, Salt Lake City, but to go out and, let's be honest, they they should have lost that game against Stanford. To perform as poorly as they did, like, that was very, very surprising. So I'm really interested to see where the Beavers are um, in their next matchup, which is against Wazoo this weekend. That's right, they host Wazoo. Um, in a similar way, on a lower scale to the USC and Utah game, like I'm just really curious to see how the better team plays on the road. Um, the better team being Wazoo, but the tough road environment also making an impact. So, uh, In that sense, do you want to just do these Pac-12 picks now, and then we can talk about some national stuff? Yeah, actually?
1: I want to mention one more thing quickly uh, about that Oregon State-USC result and kind of put it in the same mm-hmm way that I framed the Oregon-Wazoo result, which is, you know, that was a game with Oregon traveling to Pullman that late was in, you know, very much doubt. And from a game state perspective, Oregon had minimal chances of winning. Um, But, you know, we should look at that Oregon State-USC game in a very similar way uh, and put ourselves through the hypothetical of if USC had dropped that game, how differently do we look at them uh, and remind ourselves, you know, this Oregon State team is not as good as we thought they were and that USC needed a touchdown with, um, you know, just a minute left in the game to win that. Um, and one interesting thing is is from a data perspective and postgame win percentage, uh, you know, which, as we've talked about, is more about these underlying numbers and, uh, you know, effectiveness per play. Uh, as opposed to game state um, and, you know, just saying, oh, Oregon was trailing by X amount of points in the fourth quarter, but saying how many yards per run did they get? How many turnovers were they? How repeatable are these things? Oregon had a 93% postgame win expectancy against Wazoo, and USC had a 13% post game win expectancy against Oregon State. Um, that's pretty interesting, and... I think that that result isn't giving, getting as much attention as it probably should right now uh, because USC did survive and because, you know, that's how the game works with the AP poll. It doesn't affect your ranking and therefore it doesn't affect public perception and people kind of forget about it.
0: Especially when nobody watches it because it's <laughs> on the Pac-12 network. Um, all right, man, let's let's get through these picks real quick. Um I already have mine down because I was up late last night and couldn't stop thinking about some of these games. Um, I have real problems if I can't stop thinking about Cal at Colorado, but um, I will continue to fade the buffs. Cal's 15-point favorites, do you feel any differently?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll go with Cal. Yeah,
0: yeah I'll continue to fade the All buffs. Right. I'm just making sure um arizona at washington u looking for that bounce back win after losing bad in the desert we're not losing bad but i mean it's a terrible result you know what i mean um does washington cover this 14 and a half i think they do i think they're going to be quietly good and we'll forget about them you know anytime they play at home um up until that oregon state game on a friday in a few weeks uh, so yeah i'll take the huskies
1: yeah i'll take the huskies as well there Um, I think they're a really bad secondary. I think their passing attack will get going again.
0: I do have a bad stat regarding this, though. Uh, The past two weeks, we've both picked Washington to cover, (laughs) and all four of those picks have been wrong, obviously. um, Stanford are 17-point underdogs on the road in South Bend playing Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame covers this. I don't believe in Stanford whatsoever. Even after that decent performance against Oregon State, yeah,
1: yeah, I don't believe, I don't believe in uh, Stanford either.
0: I'm gonna go with Notre Dame too. (laughs) Damn, bro, I gotta catch up at some point. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, our records: um, I'm 17 and 19 overall against the spread, very bad. You are 20 and 16, and that includes four losses you took last week. Oh my god, games so um yeah man between the two of us we had one win last week and it was me having usc to cover against Wazoo, so not great um this week utah or usc is at utah god i wrote down utah in this i think i picked him in like a group chat i'm in on twitter oh i really want to say you i kind of want to flip it but i'll stick with utah what do you think
1: I'm really torn on this game. Um, I want, I want to pick Utah. I think that it's different. Uh, that you know they are a different team at home, but from a matchup perspective, I don't know if I have a lot of faith in them to get it done. Uh, I just don't think their defense can really hold up against USC. So I think. I think I feel like USC is probably going to win. Yeah. So I'll go USC.
0: Okay. Again, at least I'm line that's close interest, Even if yeah, I'm,
1: I'm rooting for you. This is, this is
0: a, it's one where I want to pick Utah straight up and USC against the spread. Um, but whatever, I'll just pick Utah against both. Cause it's, it's all for fun. Anyways. Uh, Last game, Wazoo at Oregon State. Beavers are three-and-a-half-point favorites as well. Again, I already compared these two matchups, but I still think I'm taking Wazoo. I think the Oregon State streak of playing well at home finally breaks. Um, Unfortunately for the Beavs, but yeah, they just don't have a quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think I mentioned on the uh, post-game show that we'd seen this line on Sunday, and I was already firmly on Wazoo. Yeah, I'm I'm sticking with that for sure. I just think Washington State's a better team. Significantly better team.
0: Yeah. All right, that does it for our picks. Hopefully we can turn this thing around after a terrible week last week. Um, There is one more thing. I keep going back to this 538 chart, but I do want to mention it as something to talk about in regards to uh, overall national stuff. Um, It gives Oregon a 9% chance to make the playoff it also gives Oregon a 9% chance to win out. Now, 9% isn't all that likely, but I think we both know enough to say that that means if Oregon wins out, they're pretty much guaranteed to make the playoff. And in fact, if you check that box, it gives you 72% chance to make the playoff. Um, I'm calling, I've called my shot for a couple weeks now and I'm going to stick with it until further notice. I don't want Oregon to be in the playoff. I know this seems like a stupid take, and I had some people in my mentions telling me it was dumb because the increased exposure and blah, 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 all this stuff. Like, yeah, great. I really don't feel like getting flattened again. Like, how great was all that increased exposure for Oklahoma when they were getting pistol whipped every year in the playoffs? <laughs> I want to win the Rose Bowl. Like, I want to I have an excuse to actually go to a game in Pasadena. Um, not that we haven't had it throughout my lifetime. I just haven't had the disposable income to do it. Um, I don't. I don't want to see us in the playoff. Period. Like I, I. don't care if that's a hot take or whatever. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I think. Um, I think I'm not ready to plant my flag either way. There, honestly, I think that. I'm also just not as concerned with it as I was in past years. I don't feel like there's as much pressure on this group uh, to get it done. I think that recruiting is still going well um and this is the first year of a staff and in some ways, in some ways it feels like a bonus year to me because bonix was brought in and has kind of transformed this offense and um that just was something I didn't really expect I kind of thought that it would be Ty Thompson and there would be some growing pains there uh and then even with bonix I thought that Uh, It probably wouldn't go smoothly either, and it hasn't been completely smooth, but 5-1, and and obviously a chance here down the stretch. Um, But I'm more concerned with just taking it game by game and seeing what happens here, Uh, and I think it's almost helpful that the playoff case for Oregon is pretty definitive at this point. Uh, If they win out, I think they're going to have a great shot, especially looking at what's going on in the rest of the country right now and if they lose another game I think that uh, there'll be almost no chance Um, and that feels fair to me Uh, and right now I'm not overly invested in going to the playoff but maybe there's a world where uh, I feel differently in six weeks if this Oregon defense shows some improvement uh, and the offense is still rolling and um, we see whatever the picture at the top of college football looks like, you know, and I feel like, oh, maybe Oregon could ha- could be somewhat competitive. Um, but I, you know, I don't feel that way right now. Uh, and I'm not sure that I will feel that way at any point this season. Um, but I, I don't think it's the worst thing to go either. I think Oregon has, you know, had the win over Ohio state last year, has had some Rose Bowl wins in the past decade, right? Uh, It's not like we're looking to break a 20-year drought of going to the Rose Bowl or winning the Rose Bowl or anything, uh, let alone, you know, the 50-year droughts that some people in this conference are trying to break. So while I don't ever want to take a Rose Bowl for granted, uh, there is a certain uh, part of me that's willing to, you know, roll the dice on a playoff spot if it comes that way. But I think I still need to see how this team improves and what they look like as the season moves forward.
0: That's fair. That's a good measured way to put it. (laughs) I don't usually have these strong takes about these random things, but um, this one I do for whatever reason. I feel compelled. Um, Looking around the country, top three still pretty clear. I think this – this Penn state Michigan game this weekend is kind of a barometer for each of those teams. Like whichever one of those wins I'm, I feel fine. Like calling them the fourth best team or the playoff incumbent or whatever. Um, Clemson, I mean, Tennessee, same thing. Like if they are able to beat Bama, great. If they play them super, super close, then I'll think about it. I don't think Bama will have Bryce Young in that game. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, I mean, if Bama just squashing, them, then, yeah, Tennessee, you can kick out of there. USC, I don't think, is a playoff-caliber team. I think they'll drop one at some point. I think they'll drop this Utah game. But, um, you know, Oklahoma State, same same as USC, like, that's another tier down. So, I'm not as concerned about the playoff race right now in general. Uh, for the Ducks, I think it's pretty solidified with a lot of heavy hitters up there. But, um in general, let's look at this weekend around the country. What are you feeling interested in? What are you not interested in? Um, what will you be watching?
1: I'm interested in a lot of this slate. Uh, there's just a lot of tests for some of those teams you just mentioned. Um, a lot of close lines, right? I mean, it starts with the Michigan game where they're a touchdown favorite versus Penn State. Uh, someone's going to come out of that as you know the team that we think could uh, – compete with Ohio State or maybe not that we think could but at least the the lead challenger um to an Ohio State team that looks like they're probably going to roll through the Big 10 um but elsewhere uh I think that Alabama game is again how often do you see Alabama as a single digit favorite uh they're only favored by 7 against Tennessee and Tennessee looks good and it's at Tennessee uh, and right in that same twelve thirty slot, TCU and Oklahoma State go at it. And Oklahoma State, who's the favorite in the Big 12 right now, um, gets a big challenge in which they're an underdog in that game. Uh, TCU's favored by four. Um, so I think all these kind of leaders in these different conferences face tests. Uh, Clemson is another surprising one. You might, you know, scan past the fact that they're ranked fourth right now. And facing an unranked Florida State team, but they're only three and a half fa- point favorites on the road. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, it's the type of weekend that uh, we'll see what happens, right? But I think rarely do you see three top five teams threatened this much. Uh, all Three top five teams that have seven point or lower spreads this weekend. Yeah. Uh, And if you want to throw it in, I mean, number seven, Utah, or never number seven, USC is an underdog this weekend. And number eight, Oklahoma is an underdog. Uh, And number six, Tennessee is an underdog to number three, Alabama. But those are a ton of top eight teams that are being threatened this weekend. And I think that um, it's a pretty fun weekend for Oregon fans to kind of sit back and look at the kind of chaos and. Ascend on college football and see what we wake up with on Sunday in terms of this national picture. Uh, whether I mean in the another thing from this from this five thirty eight chart is scan the teams you know with a shot at the playoff here uh, and their conference alignment. The only team from the ACC is Clemson. No one else you know except Syracuse. Syracuse is the next team to come up. They're not making the playoff.
0: Like, I can't even find them on the chart. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, all of a sudden, like Clemson loses this game, plug it into 538. They have a 25% chance to make the playoff if they lose to Florida State this weekend. Then who would the next teams be? They would be next most likely Michigan. You'll recall their seven-point favorites this weekend. USC. Underdogs this weekend, Tennessee underdogs this weekend, and Oklahoma State an underdog this weekend. Everyone below them has a 16% chance to make the playoff. So, you know, it's not that hard to envision a scenario where there's some chaos and all of a sudden a team that we saw as, you know, a real long shot going into this weekend um, has a chance to, a real chance to make the playoff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a really great weekend. Um, I'm still excited to, as you said, just take it all in and not have to worry about an Oregon game to stress over uh, just quite yet. I'm sure I'll still be thinking about it, as I said. I'll be thinking about next weekend already. But um, All right, man. Unless there's any other matchups we want to shout out, uh, Miami's at Virginia Tech. That could be a disastrous loss for first of (laughs) of all. Tulane gets a nice easy one for once at South Florida. Hopefully they can squash that one. Um, Arkansas at BYU seemed a lot more intriguing a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know if either of those teams have won a game in like three weeks now. Uh, I don't know. Anything else?
1: Yeah, with Tulane, I'm just praying that they can somehow find a way to crack the top 25. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'll be rooting hard against Illinois, who's ranked 24th right now. Just you know, in the hopes that uh, Oregon could, or, I mean that Tulane could get in there with a top 25 spot freed up. Uh, I'll be rooting for Kansas against Oklahoma, but that certainly is another spot that could get opened up. Um, and I think, let me check real quick, but I think Tulane is right on the edge here still. Uh, yeah, like the fourth team or fifth team. Uh, waiting receiving votes so we shall see roll wave roll wave
0: um that's all we got for now again i'll try to remember to tweet out that chart that i've been talking about um but feel free to always ask us questions give us ratings whatever you feel like doing we're available on twitter at ducks pod and our respective handles are there as well so thank you as always for tuning in and go ducks
1: go ducks